Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illingway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I'm Travis Jadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. I'm joined today by Mike Anthony of the Statesboro Herald. Today we're going to jump in to some baseball stuff to start. Just wanted to wrap up that Sunbelt Conference title game that the, the Diamond Eagles uh, suffered a, a really tough loss and a tough loss to end your season on especially. Uh, I know that's a while removed um, from now when we're recording this, but you know, I wanted to get Mike's thoughts on that um, and give you guys my thoughts on that after being in Conway. Uh, then we'll let Mike start us off with some football chatter. We'll talk about uh, two of Georgia Southern's, you know, I don't even know if it's arguable at this point, their most important returning players in Kendall Vildor and Shy Wirtz. Uh, so we'll get into some football stuff with that. And then at the end, we will talk about the pay raises for the coaches, uh, some notable raises for a few coaches, but notably among the raises is anyone involved uh, with the 2018 season with Georgia Southern was handsomely rewarded. So Mike and I will talk about what that means. And then uh, after that, we'll take a short break and you guys can listen to an ad read by yours truly. And then we'll have a segment with Greg Talbot. Uh, so we'll start today. Mike, how are you? Uh, welcome to the podcast. And how are your Phillies doing? Just checking in. <laughs> Well, I, I can. Uh, the listeners will know uh, when exactly we time this. Uh, I don't think you'd have asked about my Phillies about a week ago when the Braves were three games back, but uh, Phillies are struggling a little bit. But I'm doing well. Uh, I think uh, since the last time I was on your podcast, I added another member to my family. Got a six week old now. Uh, I just moved into a house, so I've been neglecting most sports things for the last two weeks, trying to grow a backyard. But. Uh, other than getting sunburned and uh, being awake all hours of the night, everything's pretty good. Mikey Memory, the the Renaissance man, we all know him, we all love him. Mike, let's let's start first with the baseball game. Um, I know you weren't in Conway, but I you know I doubt you missed very many pitches of that Sunbelt Conference tournament and especially that Sunbelt Conference title game. I was in Conway and kind of you know you know like most print journalists nowadays, Mike, I had the whole story written. Uh, in the sixth inning. and you probably you know, wrote that game story three different times. I did, man. And, and you know, the first time I, I was patting myself on the back, I thought it was my Mona Lisa. It was, it was going to be my Pulitzer. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Coastal Carolina happened. Georgia Southern, obviously, you guys don't need us to recap it. Um, but Georgia Southern gets up to a big lead, 6 nothing lead. Um, they're leading by, I think, five runs uh, in the fourth four runs in the fifth and they end up losing nine to seven. 
uh, in the title game. Uh, a couple of things for me, Mike, that, that after the game, as I was trying to digest it and, and that ride home from uh, Conway, South Carolina to Savannah is, uh, you know, perfect for just thinking uh, by yourself and, and kind of running in circles in your head. And that's exactly what I did. The first thing that I thought about was, you know, hell, it, it sucks. And there's no way around it. It sucks that you lose one game uh, in a double elimination tournament. Um, and the team that wins the conference tournament, a double elimination tournament, also loses one game. And yet, you know, they advance over you. Because, you know, as the Sun Belt has it set up, you get to the title game and it's not like if you're, uh, you know, going in with zero losses that you have to be beaten twice or that it's a two out of three where you're the home team for two of the three games or any sort of, you know, the only benefit you get for being in Georgia Southern's position, which is winning all the way through up until the title game is that you have to play one potentially two less games um for me mike that was the first question i asked coach hannon after the game was you know how he felt about the format and a class act as always he you know he supported it he thought that uh georgia southern had been on the other end of it before in the southern conference and, and he was all for it you know that was expected for me mike but but i'll just start there real general after that game, after that baseball game ended, kind of what were you immediately thinking? Because, I, you know, Coastal Carolina got so hot, it was like, I don't know if I can question any strategy in the game or any one moment. It just seemed to happen, you know, almost instantaneously um, in the latter inning. So, so what were your takeaways from that game, Mike? Well, my takeaways were that Georgia Southern, if they were going to win that game, you know, every or if they were going to win the tournament, there was really only one way it was going to happen, and that was for, you know, all the guys who had pitched so well for him this year, which wasn't a ton of them, but there were enough of them, just barely enough of them to get through, and they did that. They they used, I think, only five pitchers to get to the championship game. They only used, I think, uh, two more unique guys that hadn't thrown before in the title game, and that's what it was going to take. You know, the, the back of that bullpen was a little bit thin. You had a couple of dependable relievers in uh, Whitney, um, uh, you know, it just, the starters did their job. Uh, Nahas, Owens, they both pitched great games to get him to the championship game. Schumann, you know, maybe the heat got to him a little bit, maybe pitching a couple days earlier than he's used to, uh, not as much rest as he's used to. Maybe that got to him a little bit, but, uh, you got to give credit to Coastal Carolina. They did what they were supposed to do all year, which is just swing it and hit it hard. And, you know, credit to the four home runs they hit. But what I pointed out, my first thought after the game was, for all the talk about how great their lineup was and, you know, how many home runs they hit in the tournament, setting all kinds of offensive records, if it wasn't for walks and hit by pitches, those home runs wouldn't have been enough for Coastal Carolina. It wasn't that they hit them over the fence, that there were walks on base when they did. Right. And, that, you know, that's kind of the story for any baseball game. You can point at that kind of stuff. But let me ask you bluntly two questions, Mike, and you can answer as bluntly as I ask them if you'd like. A, did, did the umpires affect any kind of outcome in the game? And B, did the best team in the Sunbelt Conference advance out of the Sunbelt Conference? Uh, I'll say, as far as the umpires go, I never try to hang the entire weight of a game on an umpire unless it's just something egregious, you know, for the final out. 
Uh, both teams have to deal with the strike zone all day, and or maybe in the final inning, in the same spot. Sometimes it wanders. I, I will say that said, you know, it was a terrible call at the end. That, uh, and I think the fact that nobody got thrown out of the game kind of shows that the umpire might have known just how bad that was. Yeah. You know, at that point, it, it is what it is. Uh, uh, you know, some people say you can't give the guy a chance. You know, that was a, a strike zone that was in question all day. So when you're down to your last couple of outs, you can't give the umpire a chance to be bad one more time. I know that's a, a bad proposition. It's hard enough to hit a strike uh, to have to swing at balls. But, you know, you put yourself in a bad spot where you need two runs and you're down to a couple outs. You know, you kind of you kind of have to swing it. I don't blame him for uh, arguing the pitch. I don't blame Hennon for uh, sticking up for Swan. But, you know, I, I think you just can't give a chance uh, to an umpire who you've had disagreements with all day. You can't give him a chance to – rack up one more bad call and i'm sorry could you repeat the second one uh second the sec- question yeah the second one is just bluntly did the best team in the Sun Belt advance out of the Sun Belt? i think overall when you look at the talent and you know what was gained or lost via injury or returning from injury during the season it's hard to argue that coastal carolina was not the best team i think that they mm-hmm. definitely had the best lineup easily the best hitting uh, their pitching didn't live up to expectations, but, you know, they got the job done when they had to. And even when the pitching didn't get the job done, the offense was more than able to make up for it. And I think if you want to look at the most complete team, which the announcers, if you were listening uh, on TV, as I was all weekend, uh, the announcers identified Georgia Southern as the most complete team. But, you know, you know, as well as I do from playing the game, you know, if someone gets hot or in Coastal's case, if the entire lineup gets hot, if you're a B plus and everything, you might just get overpowered by a team that decides to be uh, an A all around hitting the ball for a weekend. Right. And I guess that, that, that's my only complaint besides the fact that, you know, all the way up until college baseball and, and each conference has a different format, you know, it is super rare that you see a double elimination tournament with the championship being completely wiped clean. In other words, like Mm -hmm. either you have to beat the team that advanced out of the winner's bracket twice or it starts completely over and you play a two out of three. I guess, you know, and I understand you can't just play for 10 days, but I Mm -hmm. would say, you know, instead of starting on that Tuesday, just maybe start on Monday and then have a universal day off on say Mm -hmm. Wednesday after the first two teams are eliminated. You know, I don't know. There's plenty of ways around it. You know, I do want to point out Mason McWhorter, who who was probably the best player on Georgia Southern's team for, you know, 90% of the season. I guess you could argue uh, Stephen Curry and and Seth Schumann as well. But, you know, it it was just a tough way for that season to end because, you know, I I thought that they had started playing really well and they just had a bad few innings. And and unfortunately, in that format, you're not allowed those bad few innings. And, And Coastal, you know, give them credit. It was six nothing uh, after back to back, or not back to back, but two two run home runs. Uh, you know, in the second inning, I think it was uh, after McWhorter was pulled. Actually, mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, they, actually, I think you know losing McWhorter is a huge blow. He's your uh, biggest home run hitter, your biggest RBI threat, but you know you can't really uh, hang too much on his absence from the game because the guy who got the home run hit and started for Georgia Southern was. Uh, Tressler, who's the guy who came in to replace him, it was his first at bat uh, in the set of McWhorter. So, you know, he definitely did his part. But, yeah, from an emotional standpoint, 
it, it's got to be tough to see one of the main reasons that you made it to the championship game sitting there with his hand wrapped up and no longer in the lineup. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for for a brief moment after the game, there were there were some tweets sent my way about uh, Coach Hannon and about how it's, you know, mediocrity and all this stuff. And, and you know, I'm not even going to dignify that with uh, a discussion because – that guy is a hell of a baseball coach and he has done a hell of a job building a hell of a program, uh, in Statesboro. And I think, you know, without, without being uh, too forward here, if you don't agree with that, then you probably don't know baseball too well, because if you spend any time around Georgia Southern baseball, if you even just watch a couple of games on TV, you know, they go about things the right way and that's all fine and dandy, but they also win a hell of a lot of baseball games. And so, I, you know, anyone clamoring for that, you know, probably needs to take a step back and readdress. But uh, let, let's move on from baseball. I'm sure plenty of Eagle fans are ready to put that behind them. Mike, you had a chance uh, to talk with Shy Wirtz and was it Kendall Vildor this past week about about their expectations for the for the upcoming season and for fall camp? Is that right? Yeah, I just sat down with both of them, kind of talked about how the summer was going. It was actually on Monday of this week, so that was the first day that all the new freshmen, at least the ones that weren't early enrollees, uh, it was the first day that the freshmen were in the building. So really the first day that all of the 2019 Eagles uh, got together, but uh, just talked to them about, you know, where they thought they were going. And obviously the uh, accomplishments of the huge turnaround of 2018 and what that meant, what they were expecting uh, to be able to carry that over and improve on it in 2019. Well, I'm interested first to, to, hear what you thought about what, what Wirtz had to say. For me, Wirtz is becoming more and more uh, robotic in front of the media, which is good. I mean, that, that means he's becoming, you know, more comfortable uh, answering questions, honestly, but also, you know, answering them like a veteran. For you, do you see any noticeable, uh, you know, I hate to use all these cliches, but maturation kind of off the field with Shy? Not that he ever was accused of not being you know first one and last one out but but do you see him kind of maybe owning that from here on out uh from for the rest of his time in states role well i do but honestly i think that more of the news i hear about how mature he is it, it's where it's how you want to hear it not from him but from everybody else the guys who, right you know he's got to pick up the guys who he encourages and he's uh patrolling you know controlling on the field there and uh, you know, as they all say, like you said, even going back to his freshman year, he was all over the film room, uh, spending hours in there, all the unnecessary, you know, player-led hours and stuff during the summer. He's the one that's coordinating it. Uh, so you hear that from other players, and when they go out of their way to talk about how their quarterback's doing that, to me it says he's a good leader. They trust him. They're going to uh, especially trust him when you really need it, when everything's breaking down, when there's chaos on the field. Uh, and as far as, you know, what you said about him being uh, robotic, I think that maybe the content of his answers is. But honestly, when I talk to him, he always seems pretty relaxed. And uh, to me, what surprised me, what I think is a good sign is just the consistency of how, uh, you know, relaxed, how, how chilled out he is about everything. Yeah. It was the same It was the same last year coming off of a 2-10 and 10 season where he knew that everybody's looking at him you know, saying, you know, he really needs to improve. If he doesn't improve, then nothing's going to get better. He was kind of relaxed and taking that in stride. And then coming off the 10-3 and three last year in a season where without him, I don't think they win more than, you know, maybe five or six games. 
he's the same relaxed guy. You can tell that that intensity is kind of there under the surface, but to sit there and, you know, talk to him like I did on Monday, uh, I don't know if he had a workout schedule, but it looked like uh, he just came in from uh, lunch or something, you know, just hanging out, looked like uh, didn't have a care in the world. But, again, from hearing what other people say about him, you know that's not the case when he's either on the field or in the weight room. He's putting in as much work and effort and preparation as anyone. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, robotic probably wasn't the right word. I guess matter of fact is kind of what I yeah. meant. And, and, he, he knows the answers to give. He knows the, the image to project. But, yeah, you, you can you can tell that, you know, that's just his personality uh, uh, is to be kind of laid back. But now he gets it. He knows exactly what it takes uh, to, to be a leader, uh, whether it's on the field or in front of a microphone. Um, let, let's talk about Kendall Vildor real quick, Mike. Uh, you know, a lot of attention coming on him uh, heading into this season, and rightfully so. Everyone knows how good he was last year. But, you know, two things for me on Vildor, and then I'll let you kind of summarize w- what your feeling about him is heading into this year after after talking to him. Uh, first is that, you know, the numbers that he put up last year and kind of when I say numbers, I mean more of the advanced uh, numbers that smarter people than us put together. When, when, you know, when that happened, he, he wasn't necessarily doing that against guys that were on those lists for wide receivers. You know what I mean? Like he was playing mm-hmm. against quality talent. And when he went up against, um, you know, I think really the only guy that, that I can think of that, that absolutely killed them uh, was Isabella. And that, I think that was by design with UMass. I mean, they kind of just let him have anything over the middle and anything short they wanted that he wanted. Um, but you know, uh, Sutton at app state, I think they, they pretty much shut him down. Arkansas state's, mm-hmm. uh, number one guy, they pretty much shut him down. I think mentor for South Alabama, you know, a lot of those swing passes that, that Vildor and Brinson controlled, but, but, you know, to get to the point, Mike, this year, right out of the gates, you got LSU, who has a cornerback on many of these lists ahead of Vildor. And then they also have plenty of talent out wide um, and, and with a new scheme that is supposedly, uh, you know, more, more fixed for, for quarterback Joe Burrow. But I, I think I'll be interested to see what Vildor does, not against LSU, but more so against uh, Minnesota, um, I'm thinking against uh, Louisiana uh, in in week three or in game three, I should say, uh, and, and those kind of tests early on at Louis at, at LSU on opening weekend. Um, you know, I can envision Sorry, Georgia coming. <laughs> yeah, at night they could be selling alcohol for the first time in in that stadium's history, which would just be uh, nuts. You know, it's not like they needed help to get people what they needed in Death Valley. Right. So it basically changes, you know, how you format getting alcohol into the stadium. It doesn't really <laughs> change the amount of alcohol in the stadium, but that's a topic for another day. But, but here's the thing, Mike. It, it, if Georgia Southern is losing, say, say 24 to 10 at half, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then they come out and, and, and it stays kind of a two and a half, three possession game, you probably won't see a lot of shots at Vildor and at Brinson from that point on. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that their impact 
as good as they are, Brenson and Vildor will be that huge in that kind of a game. It could be, but I think there are going to be games where they're going to be able to leave Vildor on an island by himself and Brinson on an island by himself. And then they're going to be able to pin their ears back uh, in, in the front two levels and really get after the quarterback, or at least that that's the goal for you, Mike, what are you expecting from Vildor this year? And kind of, you know, what did, what did you get out of him when you talked to him this week? Well, he, you know, like Shy, seemed pretty relaxed. He's taken all the preseason accolades in stride. And, you know, he, he definitely knows they're out there. He knows that he doesn't have to flip all the way to the uh, uh, best in the Sun Belt list to find his name on top corners. He can skip right to the front of the book and go to the national list, and you don't have to read too far down to find them. Uh, but, you know, uh, he I think that what is best about his game is that he cares as much about his tackles as he does about interceptions and pass breakups. Right. Um, you've got a really just quality all around player. So that's what you want, especially from a corner. You don't, you know, some of those guys are thinking about the ball, thinking about the ball. What am I going to do when I get the ball? And sometimes they let someone run right by them because they're too concerned about how to make a big play where they aren't able to come up and help in the run game because they'd rather sit back and play center field trying to get another interception. But, uh, and you mentioned as well, uh, one of the biggest reasons for his success last year was because two years ago, it was Monquavian Brinson doing all the same things, and a lot more passes got thrown Vildor's way because they were avoiding the corner on the other side in Brinson. And similarly, he's up there, uh, one of the best uh, in the Sun Belt as far as secondary players go in tackles. So you've got two guys that, uh, again, as you mentioned, you can line up on an island. That gives you a lot of options, especially in the 3-4 front that uh, Georgia Southern puts up. If you've got two corners you can trust against just about anybody to take a man-to-man, yeah, that's nine other guys that can be flying all over the place trying to make those big plays. Yeah, and and you know we don't need to delve into Georgia Southern's cornerback tandem, but I, I want to go on record saying that I believe that Monquavian Brinson belongs right there with Kendall Vildor on, on any list in any magazine for, for any kind of cornerback rankings. This guy had 52 solo tackles last mm-hmm. year as a cornerback. Now, we know how good Kendall Vildor is at the line of scrimmage. He had 31 solo tackles, and Brinson had 50-something. So, you know, it's easy to, to kind of lose Brinson in that. And, you know, I, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that, that really gives a rip Brinson in, in, about any of these rankings or anything like that. But it's in a good way. They have fun with it. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, what I don't, I guess I'm not smart enough to see what, what these guys ranking them see. But, but for me, if, if Brinson goes down, I'm just as worried as if Vildor goes down. Not necessarily too oh, worried because I love Liptrot, uh, Jesse Liptrot. I love, I think Bird Song is going to be a really good player. Um, and, and there's plenty of, you know, talent, if unproven talent, uh, in, in that secondary and those second and third units. But, but, Brentson and Vildor, for me, they go hand in hand. And and if you lose one, you're kind of putting far too much pressure on the other or else you have to change, you know, an entire scheme. But let's hope that, that we don't have to worry about either one of those guys going down. Um, Mike, I wanted to jump into one more football thing with you before we let you go. Uh, this past week, uh, we reported here at the Morning News the salary raises for all 10 coaches. Uh, and Lunsford, uh, Coach Chad Lunsford uh, for the 2019 season. 
Um, you guys can check that story out on savannahnow.com slash sports. But basically, Mike, the gist of it is this, that, that anyone involved in the 2018 season got a healthy, healthy raise. And, you know, after talking to Kleinlein and Lunsford for that story, what I got out of it was, A, we want our assistants to be more on par with the assistants in the Sunbelt Conference. And, and Kleinlein said with the assistants across the country. But, you know, the fact of the matter is they're not there yet with that as far as across the country. But you gave offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator healthy raises, I think, uh, $23,000 raises, I believe. And, and then you gave your strength coach, which this is what I found interesting. You gave your strength coach a 43% raise, Matt Greenhall. And you know what that did? A 43% raise. It moved him from ninth in the Sun Belt for strength and conditioning coaches to seventh. And that's a 43% raise. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, it's easy to kind of view like, oh, why did this guy get that? And that guy got this. And this guy got that. Well, you have to kind of look at the market and it's not so different than professional sports where a quarterback makes more than, than, uh, you know, uh, a middle linebacker or, you know, X guy makes more than Y guy just because of the position they play. And I think it's, it's similar to that as far as the different, uh, doling out of the money per assistant, but uh, Coach Travis Cunningham also got uh, a healthy raise. Uh, he, along with, let's see, I think it was, yeah, it was Foster, uh, got big raises. And Foster's came with the promotion to uh, associate head coach. And then Cunningham's came because he was last in the conference uh, as far as linebackers, coaches go, uh, and their pay. So, so they got them up to scale for that. And, and then, you know, you give uh, newcomer Lamar Owens $95,000 off the rip. And, you know, you guys don't need me to go into specifics, but I'll just say that's more than the guy he replaced. Um, he, you know, he didn't take over as the quarterback's coach who they lost. He took over as the wide receiver's coach, Owens did. Mm-hmm. But in other words, they're moving in the right direction. And I'll just say this Lunsford's salary at $680,000 is by far the most in school history. And and if you even look not too far ago to 2014, where Willie Fritz was, you know, mm-hmm. he's $200,000 less than where Lunsford is now. And that, you know, that's, I don't know if you can blame that on anyone, but here's what I want to say about it. That's shocking to me and in a good way. And I, you know, I wrote my column on this this past week, also on savannahnow.com slash sports. Uh, and basically I was saying that, you know, if you want to reward someone, a pat on the back and a gala and, you know, all these things are nice, but the way you reward them is money. And that's in any field period. And so Kleinline and the, and the coaches continuity fund and Lisa Sweeney and all these people that have, that have stepped up, including you guys, the fans, uh, that to me shows that this program is ready to make that step forward. And and a few years back when they made all the changes uh, with the facilities and kind of up their game in that, in that aspect, that signaled the same thing to me. And so this kind of continues that trend 
Mike, do you take anything, you know, big picture away from these salary raises? And for you, for somebody that's been here covering this team for longer than me, was this, I mean, this is pretty out of the norm, yeah? Well, I mean, there's a bunch of different things to consider when you talk about, you know, uh, who's getting what and how much more they're getting. And first and foremost, I think that uh, it's the ability of Georgia Southern to do that that's the biggest part. You know, uh, a a few years ago, no one wanted to see Jeff Munkin walk. If they'd have had that kind of money to to throw at him, maybe he doesn't. But it just wasn't in the cards. They saw the number that Army was throwing out there, and it wasn't something that Georgia Southern uh, could even approach. And you know, who knows what happens with Willie Fritz if that kind of money would have been on the table uh, in 2015. So, uh, again, first and foremost, it's great that Georgia Southern has the ability uh, to give out those raises, and you do it for a few reasons. You know, obviously you want to reward a team, uh, uh, the uh, coaching staff, for uh, turning in one of the biggest turnarounds in college football history. I think only three teams have gone from double-digit losses to double-digit wins in one year. So that's certainly uh, deserving of a reward. And after that, I think it kind of turns into a chess game. You know, obviously, as uh, Kleinlein said, you want to be competitive. You don't want to see any of your guys, you know, rank 10th out of 10 in the Sun Belt in terms of what they're getting respective to uh, their position that they coach. And then you got to consider other things. You know, how how many guys might get offended by that? How many guys uh, care more about money? Not to say they're greedy, but everybody – knows exactly what's on their paycheck and wishes it was a little bit more. Um, for sure. So, you know, who, sure. Are the guys, who, who are the guys that will appreciate that the most and who are the guys that need the most to stay happy? And then, uh, you know, the more that the success rolls in, you have to consider, you know, what's the cost of keeping them here? There's going to be – if they turn in 10 more wins this season, I don't know how likely that is with a, just a brutally tough schedule, but if they turn in another bowl-winning season – and it looks like the momentum keeps on going into 2020, you know that some of these coaches are going to start getting calls for a bigger, better position that pays a little bit more. And the fact of the matter is you can't keep promoting guys until you have uh, 12 head coaches on the roster. Eventually you you run out of money, you run out of promotions to give them. So you keep them happy while you can and uh, see how long you can keep the whole band together. Also, I'd like to throw in one more thing. Uh, You said everybody involved with the – uh, big turnaround, got substantial raises. I seem to recall both of us having a great year writing about it. I did not receive my raises. Mike, we were, I thought we were fantastic. Now, I will say this. I thought we were good, but right now, obviously, we're working to go from good to great. But yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, any of you guys listening, uh, if you guys want, you know my email, you know my Twitter, I'll send you my Venmo, and then I'll take care of Mike out of that fund. Uh, so don't my, worry. My number my number is less than any of these numbers being thrown out there for these coaches. You don't you don't have to meet any of that. <laughs> Why? Well, we'll close on this. I did want to just throw these numbers out there. Head coaching salaries at Georgia Southern, according to USA Today Sports, since 2014. You ready for these, Mike? Yeah. And this is staggering to me. 2014, Willie Fritz, and these are base salaries, not uh, not including any incentives. Okay. Base salaries, 2014, Willie Fritz, $400,000. 2015, $500,000. 2016, Tyson Summers, $500,000. 2017, Tyson Summers, $530,000. 2018, Chad Lunsford, $650,000. And 2019, Chad Lunsford, $680,000. So 
Since 2014, you've moved from $400,000 for your base salary for a head coach to $680,000. That to me says all you need to know about if Georgia Southern is serious in, in, in the suits department and, and, you know, and in the big wig department about becoming a legitimate group of five power. That's all you need to know. They're going to put the resources there. And, you know, if it works, it works. But it won't be because they don't have the resources. I, I, I'm confident in that. Yeah, I think the uh, the administration definitely has set that tone, whether it be with the jump up to FBS and then the improvements to Paulson Stadium, the creation of the football operations center at a substantial cost, you know, you know to get them looking like an, a proper FBS program. And now the, the money's coming in with the coaches. And, yeah, I, I agree. You know, the thing that you're going to have to watch out for is that there's going to be turnover no matter how good Georgia Southern is, no matter how much the uh, coaches love it, there's always going to be bigger paychecks out there, bigger jobs, power five, you know, and and you're always going to have to be replacing players. It's not a professional team where you find something that sticks and ride it out for six or seven years. So it's a huge balancing act. Uh, You know, you're plugging a lot of holes in the dam trying to keep that level uh, as high as it is. And we saw uh, over the last couple of years, not last year, but in, you know, 2016, 2017, we saw just how quickly it can slip away. You know, standing on the field at the uh, GoDaddy Bowl in Mobile uh, in 2015, there's not a person on that field, I don't think, that even with the coaching change coming that didn't think that Georgia Southern was going to be back in a bowl game, probably with a Sunbelt championship under its arm, uh, you know, doing it for the next four or five years. Right. It had to feel pretty similar (laughs) to the way we feel now. Right, right. Exactly. And you never know what's going to happen, whether it's an injury, whether it's someone moving on, whether it's just, you know, a bad recruiting season that it takes a while to recover from. So, you know, that's where I think it it comes down to as far as the funding going and keeping that up, uh, keeping that consistent. So at least you don't have to worry about your ability to to pay good coaches. I think that's where it falls on the fans. You know, I know they give a lot, but it's where people need to keep buying tickets. They need to keep making those road trips. They need to keep throwing all their financial support behind the team because that's the one thing that you really can control, I guess, is uh, if the administration can be confident that the, uh, that the donations will be there, that the ticket sales will be there, then they can feel you know confident that they can always offer the next guy more, try to get the next best guy on that coaching list, try to get that recruiting budget increased a little bit to maybe get a little farther away from home to get one better guy to make the team better. So there's so many uncontrollable right. things. That's one that, you know, maybe they can. So as long as the, the funding level is there, as long as the interest and support level from the fan base is there, that's where Georgia Southern definitely is moving forward and is expecting, like you said, to not only compete at the G5 level, but to try to set themselves at the top of it for a good long time. All right, Mike, we're going to go let you play the role of dad now. You want to tell everyone how they can follow you, reach you, read your stuff? Sure. Uh, you can read us on er, online at statesboroherald.com if you're in the greater Statesboro area, you can pick up a subscription to the Statesboro Herald. Uh, we put out some videos each week in the summer. It's a little less frequent, but as we get closer to football, we'll do the Eagles Nest. Uh, usually comes out on Friday uh, most weeks. Uh, that'll also be available on statesboroherald.com. And again, a little dormant during the summer, but you can catch me on Twitter at, at HeraldGSports. Awesome. I appreciate you joining us today, my man. No problem. Stay cool.
All right, Georgia Southern fans, we have a new offer for you guys at savannahnow.com. We want you guys to check it out. It's a newsletter focused on Georgia Southern athletics and Georgia Southern athletics only. This is a free opportunity for you guys to get caught up on all the latest news on the Eagles, whether it be on the football field, basketball court, baseball field, or what have you. But go join the mailing list for the newsletter, and this is how you do it. Go to savannahnow.com and look on the right side of the homepage, click Get Our Newsletters, and go from there. The newsletter will have a blog post once a week, as well as other relevant Georgia Southern stories, opportunities to subscribe to the podcast, and other insider notes that you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe today. All right, we now welcome on Greg Talbot, uh, I guess recurring guest, co-host of Georgia Southern Extra, Greg Talbot. Uh, after a bit of a hiatus this summer, Greg's back to uh, talk a little Georgia Southern hoops with us before we get going uh, later in July with our weekly football breakdowns. Greg, it's good to have you back. How's it been going, man? It's been pretty good, buddy. Just, you know, enjoying the, the one or two months with WSAV Sports where it cuts down to less than 60 hours a week. So I've been enjoying it. Yeah, it gives you an opportunity to work on work on the craft a bit, work on some of your other uh, some of your other mini hobbies. I know you're, you're a renaissance man. You've said that to me before. You said that to me uh, 30 Hashtag seconds humble. ago. Hashtag humble. Hashtag humble. Hashtag humble. That that's that's a tweet that I will rarely see from you, I'm sure. But Greg, let you want to start with Georgia Southern basketball. Some kind of, I mean, some no, not kind of big news. Definitely big news for Georgia well, Southern basketball, it, it, but it, not it, unexpected it, 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 news, right? It's potential news. We have not actually gotten confirmation from the athletic department yet. So actually, this is really good work on the on the part of the Georgia and student newspaper, Georgia Southern. The athletic website published the 2019-2020 basketball roster, and Ike right. Smith is on there, which seems to indicate. Again, we've not. I've I, I've been trying to get the Georgia Southern Athletic Communications people to confirm it for me for the last 24 hours, and they won't text me back. Um, but it, it seems to indicate that yes, Ike Smith will be returning for another senior year at Georgia Southern, and that his hardship medical waiver has been granted which should indicate he gets one more year of eligibility which would just be phenomenal for this team listen i would bet anything ike smith is going to be on this team moving forward and if he's not then something has gone drastically wrong because the medical hardship waiver is literally if you look it up it is it is this exact situation that it that it was built in for and unlike 99% of the things with the NCAA, this one is pretty cut and dry. There's not a lot of wiggle room with the medical hardship waiver. And, you know, Ike Smith went down in early December, missed December, January, February, and March. So he got to play basically November, essentially. So it's not like, you know, it was halfway through the season or, or, or even, you know, 20 games in. He missed the first few games for one injury, then basically after December, I think it was December 3rd at Bruton Parker was his last game. Um, don't quote me on that. It could have been the 12th. But early December, Bruton Parker, Ike Smith is out. But let's just assume that he is back, Greg, for 2019-2020. This team, to me, and, and let's also assume, this is a big assumption, but let's also assume that he is at least close to the Ike Smith that we all know is a great player. Um, 
what kind of impact will he have on this team? And doesn't this team kind of look a lot like what it was the second half of last year, which was Pookie Brown and then five or six really solid players, but really no superstars? I would say in my mind, this catapults them up to probably third in the preseason poll when that rolls around behind Arlington and then Texas State. Uh, because a, a lot of other great teams like Georgia State lost their stars to graduation and in, in the NBA draft. So I would think this probably puts them in back in the top three. I would say number three, though, with the uh, with the preseason poll, and that probably makes the starting lineup Ike Smith, Quan Jackson, Calvin Wishart, Isaiah Crawley, and probably David Carter. Yeah, David I mean, Lee so, Jones or Simeon Carter, depending if they want to go big or small. Yeah, yeah, and that's another thing. I mean, that's another thing we can jump into is that you know after last year they made the radical, uh, and it was radical switch to an up tempo team, and I'll give Byington credit; they stuck with it and they got better at it, um, and it, I think it won them four or five games. I mean, the George Mason game where they come back from from I think down twenty five at one point and then win by, I think, a dozen. That doesn't happen unless you're getting, you know, X number of possessions a game, and they were going lightning quick at that time of year. And so I think from the, what the roster looks like, um, it's going to be more of the same. But, Greg, aren't there – when I look up and down this roster, there's so many guys that can give you 15 points uh, and, and, say, eight rebounds or eight assists – and then, but they could also give you nothing for large stretches. And that just kind of worries me. For a team that has so much returning, there are a bunch of question marks. I mean, Calvin Wishart was really good, but he went through long stretches where, where he was a, a poor shooter and Byington stuck with him. Um, you could say the same about David Lee Jones. Uh, Quan Jackson started off red hot. And then, you know, kind of faded a little bit down the stretch. I think still had a fantastic season. But, you know, you're losing a guy in Monte Glenn. You're obviously losing Tukey Brown. I think the, you know, replacing Tukey is going to be a little easier than, than most teams would be replacing a guy like Tukey Brown just because you have so much depth right there behind him that, that kind of learned underneath him and, and Wishard and, and David Lee Jones and, and, uh, Hmm. I'm blanking on on a, a third guard, but but plenty of guys like that. And then you have, you know, a couple of incoming transfers and a guy that I really like, Travion Lamar, from Jenkins High School, transferring from Northern Oklahoma Community College. He's a guy that you can think of, uh, kind of like the build of of Monte Glenn, smaller in height, but has plenty of outside games similar to. Uh, not outside game, but mid-range game, similar to Isaiah Crawley. So, again, you know, it seems like a lot of talent, Greg, but also a lot of question marks. For you, what are some of the, the things that, you know, this far removed that you're starting to look at uh, as far as Georgia Southern Hoops goes? Well, I would say that it has certainly uh, softened the blow that they were going to feel of entering an entirely new era. This, I would say, kind of gives them a transition year. Right. Almost. Although Quan Jackson is going to be a redshirt junior, so it's not like he's taken over the team as a sophomore. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So this, this, this certainly shapes up to be more of a transition year for this team, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. I think it's going to soften the uh, it's going to soften the pressure that was already going to be on Quan Jackson having Ike kind of take over as the as the I mean he'll be a co-team captain, but Ike will kind of be the second scoring option, I would say. Uh, and it allows Quan to probably get a little more space on the floor because not everyone's going to be able to key on him the entire time. Uh, and I was talking when I, we did a video about this last night for WSAV.com on the sports page. He'd want a little more extra content. But we were talking about how now that Ike's coming back, yes, they're going to miss Tukey. If they can get 10 points a game from one of their secondary guys on a rotating basis, this team's numbers might not look that much worse than last year. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm with that. I think, but Greg, what's the problem last year? Their their numbers, I mean, or or bad losses? No, I don't think it was any of that. I think for them, they just faded in such crucial stretches uh, multiple times against the East Tennessee State in November. That's a five point loss, um, and you know, East Tennessee State's a really quality team, but but down the stretch, they could have won that game. Uh, late December at Dayton, they lose by four points to a team that's really, really good. Uh, three days later, they lose by three points to Texas State. Then uh, two weeks later, they lose by two points to Louisiana. So, you know, this team could have been really, really great if not for some, some oh, you know, poor, poor they won, uh, execution. They should have won the Sun Belt last year. They they kind of, as far as I'm concerned, that was the best team in the league that kind of blew it at the end. Yeah, and and it, sadly that wasn't the first time that they had done that. You know, I think the the blueprint to beat Georgia Southern last year, and again, I don't think there's like a fix for this. I think it just happened several times. And and if you're gonna go with the style that they go with, which is, you know know when to go and know when to woe, I guess, you know, they don't stop too often uh, as far as their offense goes. You're going to have lulls like that. They just all seem to happen in the final four minutes. And when, when it came time to, to have two, three, four possessions in a row, half court possessions where you have to call a set and you got to get a good look, they looked lost multiple times. And again, that happened in November. It happened in December. It happened in January. It certainly happened in March. Um, but it was a really good team that had a really, really good season. They were hoping to have a great season. I guess, Greg, the question I would ask this far out is, are they going to continue to commit to this style of basketball? And if so, you know, what does that mean for – for the problems that happened last year, their first year in this kind of run-and-gun system, what does that mean for them moving forward? Because if you do it this year, I'm assuming you're going to be recruiting for it for the following year. Well, you know, I, I at, one point, that, at what um, point do you decide this is it moving forward? I would, or? Say, one the, I would, say, I would say one of the big-picture strengths of Mark Byington is actually with a little, a little historical perspective. So this, you know, this, this, this past season was up and down, right? The year before that was a big three-point shooting team, but the year before that was also up and down. When Quan and Ike were sophomores, that was a run-and-gun team, very much right. in the mold of this year. They changed it two years ago to be a three-point shooting team, and then they went back to run-and-gun. 
I would not be surprised if Byington kind of, like many good coaches do, you know, some coaches like like Jim Beheim at, at Syracuse, they recruit for the system. First guy I thought of. Like, it, it seems to me like like Mark Byington's philosophy is change the strategy and change your your tempo and the way you play the game depending on on the pieces you have which is a, a confident coaching move but i mean big picture greg if and i and i hear what you're saying you want to adapt to the team you've got in front of you and, and not you know not kind of try to fit a round piece in a square peg or, or vice versa but at the same time you also want to have some sort of program-wide identity. And, you know, Georgia Southern now, make no mistake about it, they're expecting to win 20-plus games a year under Byington. I mean, what he's done in his time in Statesboro, you know, he's raised the expectations on himself. And, you know, that is bittersweet. There's a guy named Mark Richt, I think, that, that knows a lot about that kind of thing. And, you know, Byington's done that. So I guess moving forward, what I would ask is, are you going to be the kind of coach that adapts uh, that drastically to your roster every year? Or, you know, are you going to become kind of a team that identifies with the running gun? Because the running gun last year, Greg, it didn't come with uh, no no uh, negatives. Now, it came with some some negatives. They were really bad defensively. I mean, they were really bad defensively, and he said it the whole year. They got better, uh, you know, for for just under a month there at the end of the season. But there are drawbacks to that kind of thing. And so I guess what I'm asking is, if you run into a 10-12 game stretch, say, uh, and it's just not working, at what point do you kind of scrap it? And then, and then what do you do after that? You, you see what I'm saying? Like Alabama football is not going to move away from the, from the pro, uh, the pro style offense or, or the pro style spread, unless someone like Tua Tungavailoa comes along. Right. And so their identity is kind of there. And, and the same for Georgia Southern football, it's there, you know, whether you go two and 10 or, or 10 and two or 10 and three, it's there no matter what that's going to happen. And so I guess it's Georgia Southern basketball on that path. And if so, should they be? Yeah, I think, I I think, I think you're exactly right about that. I, I, some, someone texted me when this news came out yesterday and asked about what it meant for the future of the program and what it means for Byington, when, what it means for the, the identity and the strategy. I think big picture, it's just going to allow Byington to kind of, mold around the identity he wants because Ike has shown yeah. that he can succeed in both systems. He, he's done it in a run and gun system twice. And then he did it in a, in a three point shooting system two years ago. I, I think big picture this news, I think it's not going to affect the identity of the program and the identity of, of the culture and the team and the way they play in a significant way. Yeah. And I, I would just close by saying, you know, all of those close losses, they weren't against bad teams. They were against really good teams. And that just means you're only a possession or two away at either end, uh, uh, you know, a stop here or a score there at either end f- from, from winning a lot of these games. Now, you could say the same about some of the games they won, but you can play the same way you played last year and you can adapt 
and simply just maybe shoot three, four, five, six percent better on the season. Just a, they and they shot well from everywhere. They were one of the top. They were one of the. They were. They were one of the top field goal shooting teams in the country. Weren't they second for most of the year? They were from inside the three point line. Yeah, from inside three. That's correct. Yeah, and and you know they were top ten scoring period. And so if you're ranked 200 something, and we talked about this, you know, during basketball season, if you're ranked 200 something in three point shooting, and you're ranked seventh in total scoring, imagine if you're just ranked 100th and three-point shooting instead of 200. I mean, then you become really, really, really... Win a lot more more games, yeah. And so that's not like you don't have to change philosophies. You don't have to change players. You know, I mean, you can just simply shoot better as a player and as a team. And so all that can happen. And, you know, I'll say this. With Chad Lunsford and with Mark Byington, Georgia Southern fans should be really, really grateful. And, you know, and Rodney Hennon, too, with the baseball team, what you've got, are guys that know how to build a program and they're confident in the way they're building it. And, and really they don't need any kind of outside validation from the players, from us as the media. And, you know, frankly, from, from the fans either, because what they are doing is working to an extent and they're not far away. The basketball team each year from, from kind of taking that next step. Maybe this, this upcoming year is that year, um, you know, we, we shall see, and we'll keep an eye on that. Ike, Ike news. I mean, that's obviously going to be the off-season news and kind of the thing to watch. Um, but for me, the the biggest player heading into the year has has got to be uh, Quan Jackson and kind of his ability to to at least match what he did last year. And I don't doubt that he will be able to do that. Some some final thoughts from you, Greg. Yeah, I think we can probably expect about 15 points a game out of Quan on a couple of assists. And if Ike can get to double-digit points a game, and we can see that like the Simeon Carter in the back half of last year really grew, especially down the final third stretch. If Simeon Carter can be the player we all think he's going to be alongside Quan and Ike, I think that's going to be a dangerous team full of forwards. I really do. Greg, you want to let everyone know how they can follow you and kind of keep up with what you guys are doing over the summer? Uh, yeah, so obviously just Greg Talbot on Twitter, but I will say this. We are doing a lot more digital content on the sports page of WSAV.com. Uh Just last night, we did two long-form interviews. Uh, one was with uh, some Georgia Southern folks. We did a segment about Ike Smith coming back. So if you want to hear another conversation about us projecting the starting lineup and what that means for next year's team, that's on the sports page of WSAV.com. Uh, we also did a great video last night. I called up an old college friend of mine who covers college basketball now for for a living, and, and I got him on the phone to talk about the Hawks' possible draft picks for tonight and whether or not those guys are good matches. So those videos and more on the sports page at WSAV.com. Awesome, Greg. Appreciate you joining us. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.